idea? You might rock the joint. But better yet, here's what's the point. I've got a great friend and guest on today, Brittany Drozd, who now lives in Santa Barbara. She is an unusual, different, and much needed coach in a unique space, second stage businesses, focusing mostly on leadership, some culture, and teams. But this is not what you've heard before. You're going to hear about different strategies that you can use, but you're also going to hear a different perspective. We're in different times. We're never going to be like we were. There's not going to be a return to the old normal. That's why you need to listen to Brittany today. So Brittany, welcome. Nice to see you. Hi, Robert. Thanks so much for having me. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got where you are, because I think that that's always good to know. And I think that your personal story is interesting too, because you're not a traditional corporate person who came up through the corporate ranks, all that. And that's important to what we're going to talk about. Yeah, so you're totally right. I am different in that way. And I think that that's why I can bring a unique value to the marketplace in terms of coaching. So I have a psychology background. I'm a psychologist by training, and I actually started out in business with a private practice. And in that private, I just knew forever I wanted to work with people. I love people. They all, everybody has their own unique story. And there's always something to learn both for myself, like as, as a practitioner, but also for individuals. We're always learning about ourselves. Well, if you're doing it right anyway, we should always be learning. But as I was working with people, I started to notice I, I did better work or I was more tuned in or engaged with certain people. And if your therapist doesn't tell you that they're lying <laughs> because just like anybody else, like we have preferences. And so I started paying more and more attention to who these people were that I was really like drawn to that I did my absolute best work with. And they tended to be entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs I was sitting with were just people who were so dynamic. They not only had vibrant personal lives, but they were trying to achieve really big missions and goals. And these, these, these pursuits did not just involve them, but their employees, the employees' families, their children. And so I was just getting really curious about impact. And I thought, wow, like I could stand to serve the greatest impact by teaming up with these entrepreneurs and helping them understand components of behavior science that could not only benefit them in the bottom line of their business, but also create a working environment that people love to be a part of and that benefited the community. And that hopefully at the end of the day, they felt so fulfilled that they went home and they were a better spouse and a better parent. So the crossover in the personal life really does expand out. I remember years ago, I took a series of these personality tests. I did a program in, in coaching also that was very intense. And uh, we took the Reese and the Myers-Briggs and about six or seven other ones. And the bottom line was when we got the results back, we looked at them and we kind of compared them side by side. And they said, as long as they all say the same thing, you're okay. <laughs> if they start saying different things, then we should get you to a professional. I mean, essentially, they were just saying, do you really want to have some consistency in your personality? And I don't know how you feel about this, but the, the 
observation that we made was you want to be the same person in every role. Do you agree with that? I believe that people are most fulfilled and the best work is done when people get to be authentic. So I would say you want to be authentic in every role. And if most people have some, some variance in their personality. So who I show up with, with you might be a little different than who I am with my best friend or with my kids. Right. So there's like a little variability within it, but your core belief structure and values don't change. And so usually those, those core things, those inform our behavior patterns and how we respond to others in groups. And, um, and then what other people notice are those behaviors and what the personality test is kind of measuring it are those two things, are those um, core beliefs and preferences and values and the behaviors associated with. So what do you find is most needed with, with the, the people in business that you see? Is it a personal drag or an anchor on their lives or is it something that they're not adapting to in business is it a bad boss that they don't have to either learn how to get along with or get out i mean are there commonalities with all of those things what a great question i'm glad you asked so most people come to work with me when they feel totally overwhelmed and maybe even a touch burnt out on their business so I mean, this, it takes a tremendous amount of effort in order to become a second stage business. So I'm usually working with the founders and um, the people who are running the business now, and they have been there since the beginning. They've been there since the concept phase, and they have put so much sweat equity into this business and financial investment, time, all of that to build what it is today, which is usually and revenue who I'm working with. And the the hardest part about it is there this is an inflection point. When these founders are now overwhelmed, it's because they haven't changed the way that they work in their business. Successful in that first phase of business, it actually takes something totally different to be successful in the next phase. So in the first phase of business, you're usually a technical expert at something. And that's why you decided, hey, I'm going to go into business over here because I really understand this industry or I understand this thing. And I know how to like make a profit on that or make it well, when that entrepreneur stays in that role too long, they have really just kind of created a ceiling for themselves as far as scalability of their business. Now, in order to make it to that next phase, we need to hire a team. We need to delegate. We need other people to help us run and grow this organization. So now the most important skill set is management and leadership. But if an entrepreneur or founder is too stuck in that, that thing that they're an expert in, then they move on to developing that skill of leadership and management. And that's what can become so frustrating and overwhelming for a business owner. They're like, hey, I didn't dream up this problem when I started, when I thought about this business. I never imagined my whole day would just be like managing people problems. But when you reach that level, when you have a team of 30 people 
as the leader, like you should be at the top of that pyramid and your focus should be in managing and developing people. And if that's not what you're trained in, I mean, that's a whole field of um, study. Like that's what I learned how to do is understand what drives people's behavior, what tools and systems to drive behavior and performance in the direction you're looking to. So if you don't have that, I get why it's so overwhelming and challenging. It's nothing you ever thought you were going to do. Well, I, I guess that's why a lot of people in leadership will hire people to do the management if they want to stay on the entrepreneurial cutting edge and keep developing. And you have exceptions to it that maybe seem to do both. I mean, I'm thinking of somebody like Elon Musk, who appears to be managing the company. I doubt that very much. I doubt, I think that he's setting expectations. Another person is Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett buys companies, but he never manages a company. That's a different way to approach it, but it's, it seems like a pretty sane way to do it based on your objectives. So how important are your objectives and your, and the height of your objectives to your personal success and your, and your, and your professional success? Well, what you're talking about when you bring up Warren Buffett and Elon Musk is their visionary role. And that is important in, as you get closer to like a third stage business, when you have enough highly skilled people around that you can really excuse yourself from all operations and management of something and just stick with the key visionary stuff. So Elon's vision goes beyond even his like technical understanding or engineering. Like he's got a vision for life on Mars that we, the best scientists don't yet fully understand how that's going to happen, but that doesn't sway him from his big vision. Right. And that's what's so exciting about him. And it's also what drives his success. Really ambitious people want to work with him alongside him in that organization because of that. So being a visionary is a really important role as well, but there is this middle area here that you've got to get through in order to just move, be able to move fully into that role. And you need to, there, there's a management component in getting there. What do you think is the biggest hurdle for people who are, you know, I, I, I'm remembering something. If when I was a kid, we were playing with canoes and the fun game is to put one foot in one canoe and the other foot in the other canoe. And pretty soon somebody pushes them apart. And you have to decide if you're going to go into the lake or, or pick a boat. That's, that's not a bad metaphor for what my question is, which is how do you decide what you're going to do? Is that going to be based on my personality? You're saying as an entrepreneur, like how would they decide which boat to pick essentially? Yeah. I think a lot of it is um, based on need and necessity is the mother of invention. And if the organization is desperate for leadership, then it's time to figure out how to lead. And the great news about that is you can take that role, you can take any management role and make it your own. And it can really be authentic to you, your beliefs, your values. It could be Robert's brand, 
of leadership in that organization. And there's a tremendous amount of context there, which is wonderful. You really get to make it specific to you. That is when you're in a early, early stage of an organization, people wear several hats, right? Like you're not only the maybe project manager, but you're also like maybe doing some janitorial stuff on the side or somebody quits and you have to like pick up the actual software development side of something. We're, we know about that, but the same thing is kind of true even in the next stage. And you need to be able to adapt kind of to what the organization needs as you're growing. So there are going to be gaps and it's up to the leadership to kind of identify those gaps and either develop someone for them or hire into them. But assessing that need and understanding it and kind of putting a plan together for it is up to the leadership, up to the entrepreneur. So I would say that being able to take a good, clear look at your business, having a practice for understanding what the business needs is ultimately going to help you make the right decision when you're in that situation of the two canoes. Do you, do you have a, an illustration of a business that's done it right or a client that's done it right and what, what you were able to find that needed to be addressed? So recently I was working with an engineering firm and they're managed corrosion and technologies. And so some of our big, big structures like bridges, water tanks, they're responsible for ensuring the integrity of these things and having a plan for when work does need to be done. It's a big responsibility. And so there, when I came in, the leadership was so overwhelmed, quite disorganized, but they thought the answer was always just more hours. Go out and capture more contracts, more hours, and it'll figure itself out because they got paid essentially by hours, right? So they were always in this mindset of hiring technicians, hiring engineers, like hiring more people on the ground. The founder really with those administrative type hires that weren't going to earn their money that they cost the organization. So that'd be like an admin staff or it'd be a manager who never who wouldn't be having any like hours on the ground. And he struggled with that because he was like, why would I hire somebody that costs the organization money? But you get to a point where somebody who's super skilled at management can actually lean out your organization and make it more profitable. But what people fail to recognize is that this takes time, like an, an infrastructure build forces you to kind of slow down in that externally facing growth. And you have to slow down and reorganize and get your stuff together internally before you try to continue to grow. So it's like building a skyscraper on a weak foundation. You're much better off taking time to really nail the foundation and ensure its integrity and then put a little stress on it a bit at a time, which is what growth is. And your system, stress test your building for its in integrity and its structure. We've got a situation here in South Florida, and I'm curious about how what you are saying and what you your work is about, how that'll affect down here or could be useful, could be very useful down here. We have some very established businesses, the very established communities. It's been happening, I mean, even since we've been here, it's, it's happened to the people that have been here 30 years and, and more in their whole, their whole lives have seen so much change. And now we've got a lot of people coming from the North for 
multiple reasons and bringing a lot of assets that are putting pressure on the infrastructure and putting pressure on the, the culture that we all have embraced mostly the people that live here embrace a little bit more mellow a little bit more polite a little bit uh, not lazy by any means there's a lot of great business down here but what can we use that you talk about down here in an environment like that that's so it's change it's going to change and we don't know how it's going to change the, the big environment's going to change too but down here we can see it and we can still adjust it so what can we do well, I think it's really important to understand this is a tough that a lot of people resist, but I believe in it deeply, so I'm going to go with it. What are you afraid of? Because with change often brings fear. So when you introduce the idea that something's going to change and something's going to be different, people get afraid of that. They're afraid of what they don't know or what they can't yet see. And so I would want to get a better understanding of for the people in the community, what is it they're afraid of within that change? Is it if it goes a certain direction, if they introduce more of X and not Y? Like I would want to get a much better understanding of what that underlying fear is. And then we can start to address that and plan for that. Because not all change is bad, right? So some gentrification has done really great things for communities. Um, and if, but if we can understand what our fear is, we can understand where that reaction, that, that want, that need to like preserve it and hold on tight to what exists, we can understand where that's coming from. At the same time, if it's a fear of like a change in our community's values, the way that we operate, that is really central to who people are. And that, that's like a legitimate reason for fear. You wouldn't, we all, we want people around who kind of have similar values to us because we would trust them. It helps you establish that rapport and that trust, and we know how to operate with them. If we don't understand someone's value structure or beliefs, then we don't know how they're going to operate. And then we don't have a lot of trust there. So in a greater community, if there's not trust, then things can feel really unsafe for people. And I'm not even talking about physical safety, but like a psychological sense of safety that your neighbor, somebody will be looking out for you or will do right by you. Without that, things start to feel really scary. So we need to work toward that in a, in a different way. Is that, did I read that right? Your quality of life improves with, in two ways by ensuring some of that psychological and physical safety so that you can kind of let go of that overwhelming fear and you can operate from a place of like, hey, I'm not afraid of like a lion attacking me today, so I don't need to operate out of fear. I can just operate in how I wanna operate. And I use that term, I use that example kind of silly, but that's the way that our brain was designed literally to like look for these threats and weed them out and respond accordingly. It's self-preservation. Now, in modern world, our threats are a little bit different. We don't have wild animals running at us, actually in South Florida a little bit, but <laughs> besides the alligators, we have these different types of threats that our brain takes on and doesn't really know how to manage as well. But the other sense is 
figuring out who can I collaborate with? What do, what do I want to build? It's like the opposite of fear. It's like, what do I want to create in my community? How do I want to serve my community and be served by my community? And that requires relationships. We can't do it by ourselves. We want to be part of something bigger. And in order to create this level of relationships that really serve you, serve a community, we need to communicate. We need to learn how to recognize and assess our own personalities or the way that we operate within an organization or a group. And then that in order to create the best work together. I I know that you can speak it. And I know that you can walk it because I know your your background and what you've done recently. You want to share a little bit about your recent move, and, I'll, and I'd love to know a little bit about your family because we talked about that integration of how they they overlap in many different ways. I'd like to know a little bit about that. I think it's interesting. Sure. So about two months ago, I moved my family across the country. We're now in Santa Barbara, but we were living in Rhode Island for the past 13 or so years. And this is something like I'm a doer. I like to, if I say, hey, I want to live my best life or I want to live my truest values, then I need to put my money where my mouth is too. I can't just talk about it with my clients. And I also feel like it's important to role model this for my children. And so we absolutely loved our time in Rhode Island and we are so fond of that place. And at the same time, we felt it was time for our next chapter and we wanted something new and we wanted to be closer to grandparents and all of that stuff. So we decided to just go for it. And we have been met with a tremendous amount of uncertainty and some things have gone our way and some things haven't. But what happens is I... We felt we had enough of a foundational trust in each other and what my husband and I know we're able to create for ourselves and our family and our community. And we, we knew that whatever challenge was in front of us, we can kind of figure it out. And so I think I shared with you, we didn't, our moving stuff didn't show up for six weeks. We had to figure it out. People say, oh, did you move here for a job? And the truth was, no, my husband actually isn't working for six months. We're going to figure it out. Like he has employable skills, find a job. Like I work for myself and thankfully I have some amazing clients and they are happy to just continue on Zoom, like nothing ever happened. So I have some continuity there, but it's been, it's been really wonderful to, wonderful and challenging to stress test the system that is our family a little bit at a time, because when you do that, you build resilience. When you practice managing uncertainty, when you have a good toolbox on you, you build more and more resilience. You have now a, a greater comfort with uncertainty and adversity, and you're able to take on greater and greater challenge. You know, when people talk about like leadership is a learned skill and not a, a one you're born with, it's because it takes time for you to learn how to manage situations and people and uncertainties, and you get better and better at it. And that's how these great leaders are born. That's why like Warren Buffett's okay with owning a company and not calling every single shot because he understands the importance of empowering a different leader. He understands the technical, he appreciates the technical ex expertise from a different industry that he doesn't have. But a great leader understands that you can have some of that uncertainty. You don't have to be the one pulling every single lever and things can still work out in your favor. Yeah. Do you have something that 
is a is something that is a concern to you in in what we're seeing now and what what you're seeing in business or do you feel that people are being resilient and they're going to bounce back and and into something different i mean i think we've established that we're not going backward to the old normal it's all going to be in chaos do most people in your view have the capacity to advance? I think as a human species, we're incredibly resilient and adaptable. And I think that this stress on our system as a species is showing us that. Is it without challenge? No way. We, we can come up with a hundred examples right now of how we're not doing a good job. But the truth is, is if somebody told you in March, 2020, that still be like in a pandemic and we'd still be trying to figure this out, you would think no way would I survive that long. But look at it, we have, and we're adapting along the way. And what we're seeing now is management research coming out that's showing us, hey, so many people are reassessing right now what's working for them and what isn't about their communities, about their jobs, about their home life, and people are making moves. And that is so interesting because before I think we were so just busy and wrote, look at our routines and what was serving us and what wasn't. I don't think we saw the options or the opportunities that truly exist. I mean, the, the truth, I can speak for myself, right? Like there, I was in my community, we had our friends, we have like things set up and things were great, but it took this big disruption and kind of a new perspective on how vulnerable that some of us are. I thought, wow, I don't really want to be this far away from my parents and other family members. I would like to be closer or like, my gosh, what if something happened and I'm this far away or I didn't get to spend the next 10 years being closer. Those are things I had never stopped and given the time to. So what I think is going to happen is right now we see employees holding the card. Employees get to call a lot of the shots right now because there is there is a bottleneck on talent and there are organizations who are letting employees work from home. They're letting them decide their flexible work schedule. And there are these different, there are these different benefits, benefits other than salary or, or bonus that people are looking at now to better serve them in their own lifestyle. Yeah. So, yeah. So Absolutely. that is what, if you're unhappy, we're seeing, what was it called? The great resignation. People are leaving their jobs. They're looking for something else. And so what does that mean for my clients? Because I work with the entrepreneurs. It's forcing a reassessment of what can we do for our teams? What can we do for our employees and their families to best serve them, but also serve our mission in our organization as well? So I work with some people that, that like that engineering firm I told you about, they can't work from home. They have to be on the ground, like looking at things. Okay. So if they, what we've talked about is shifting to a four day work week, because that is something that the employees are interested in. And we need to consider keeping some of the talent that have these certifications that are hard to come by. And without them, we're not, they're not able to complete the projects that they've been contracted. So there, there are things you can do and shift that don't necessarily cost you more money, but you need to get creative because the employees hold the cards right now and, and 
what people are assessing or where the, where their values are, what's speaking most strongly to them is changing. And the best thing an employer or a leader can do is listen right now. So what I hear is somebody who's overall very positive. You've, you've managed the, the stress test that you put on your family. You've found a new home, finding new space there, but you've also been blessed with a great marriage. You're very supportive, obviously, to do something like what you just described with this cross-country move and your kids on top of it. And uh, you've, you're committed. I like that you say that you're going to figure it out. I, that's a that's an active way to deal with problems. I think that overlap social issues and questions now. So uh, where I'm heading with this, what's the point? The point is is that we need to keep developing that social emotional muscle because one thing that is not one thing that we have clearly struggled with and is not going away is the need for community and that exists even just within our family and it exists in our work life and i believe well i don't believe i know from the science that so many in the last 18 months because they've been without their normal communities and tools to cope and to find happiness and fulfillment. So the answer is in this new normal or moving forward is not just let people work from home because it shows us that that happiness thing is not there for everybody. There is a need to relate and get together and, um, and that we know that from way back as part of like a hierarchy of needs, we need community. So to shy, we don't need to go to our homes and just pull up there and stay there and work there and get food deliveries and never leave. And that is not the answer. The point is, is pay attention, pay attention to when you feel your best and you don't. What, what resources do you have access to right then? Is there's too much stress on the system and you need to take something off your plate at that moment? There's so much learning that we can do about ourselves. And then the next step is to communicate those findings and figure out how to work together to create better fulfillment, bigger impact, move our missions forward in our organizations and find that fulfillment and purpose along the way. And that's the active word of purpose. Most people across many platforms understand that that's the gap for too many people. Brittany yeah. Droz, this is a great conversation. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking time. I know you'd rather be walking in Northern California. And I'm glad to have you here. It's a great conversation about founders and CFOs and solving problems, which I, I didn't know we were going to be talking about that in the way that you have. And it's a treat. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Robert. You've been listening to What's the Point? This podcast is hosted by Robert Bailey and produced by Skizitz McGee. The show is live from Palm Beach, where we highlight advanced strategies with living and extended benefits for CFOs, founders, and entrepreneurs. Visit upradio.live to learn more and to register for guest offerings. Whatever you do, make it great. But for now, the microphone is off. Hooray!